How many of you have a Bible? If you don't have one, because we're going to use them, there's some blue ones in the back of these chairs, you're going to need them. Tonight we are going to be, we're going to start off in Hebrews 11, so you can go turn there. That's where we're going to start off tonight. So let me ask you guys a question. Who knows what this is? It's kind of a stick. Okay. What's that? Some measuring stick? I heard a I heard somebody said a Okay. <laughs> I love the fact that so many people have no idea what this is. This this is actually called um it's official name so I make sure I get it right. It's called just a folding ruler. That's all it is. Now, how many of you have never seen one of these before? Okay. There, I remember, the only reason I know what this is is because when I was little, my granddad was a farmer and he had one of these in his toolbox. And I used to play with that thing all the time because for me, this was like a big puzzle. And I absolutely loved puzzles because you could take this folding ruler and I mean, you could just, you could make all kinds of stuff with it. And I would take it and I would bend it out in all these different ways. And, and you could make easy stuff like squares, which were pretty simple. I mean, you just, what's that? I mean, you just take it, you fold it out, you make your square, you're good to go. Thank you very much. All right. But you could also do some, some more intricate stuff depending on how complicated you wanted to get. You could take this thing and, and you could make... Let me see. Let me make sure I get it right here. I want to get it right. You can make one of those yard reindeer you see at Christmas. Okay. What's that? Yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't look quite right. It looks like he's got like a nasty growth on his head or it's, an, it's a deer that's going to eat you at that point. And we don't want to do that. Or you could do it for what it was intended for and you could just fold it out and actually measure things I mean crazy right but here's here's the thing here's the thing that, that got me about this and it still does is it looks like it's such a simple little thing and every one of these individual just little six inch pieces when you put them all together all of these individual small things the little things it makes something big six feet that's absolutely right and the reason I think that's important for us to know and, and why it stands out is because a lot of times when it comes to our relationship with God, we want God to do big things in our lives, don't we? And, and we hear that all the time and we're challenged by different people of, you know what, you need, you need to want God to do big things. You need to ask God to do big things. You need to look for big things. And is that a bad thing to want? No, it's not. Absolutely not. Because we want to see God work in big ways in our lives and, and God to use us to work big ways in other people's lives. But sometimes what we forget is that we're so busy looking for the big thing that we don't realize that what God is looking for is the little things in our lives. And if we'll pay attention to the little things in our lives consistently, God will take those little things and he'll put them together and he'll make that big thing. Now, there's a book of the Bible, Hebrews. Does anybody know who the author was of Hebrews? Hebrew? No. Does anybody know who the author is of Hebrews? 
There's a lot of theologians that believe it was Paul, but we really don't know. So it's kind of a trick question. Sorry, just throw that one out there on you. I'm always curious. We're going to talk about who writes these books. But in Hebrews, there's a chapter, chapter 11. And that chapter has kind of a, a nickname. Does anybody know what that nickname is in Hebrews chapter 11? Anybody? No, that's a good guess. Nope, that's also a good guess. If you turn to your Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a little title right there. What does it say? By faith. Okay? The, the, the nickname that you'll hear sometimes referred to that chapter is, is the, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Okay? If you read through that entire chapter, and we're going to work through that chapter over the coming weeks, and what we're going to see in that chapter is we're going to see different people that, that were consistent in the little things. Now understand, these were not perfect people. In fact, if, if you walk through here and you start digging deeply into the lives of every one of these people, you start to see some pretty major flaws in their lives, some pretty big mistakes and big mess-ups. And yet, what we see over and over as we read through this chapter is that God still rewarded them for their faith. And that's a big deal. And it wasn't because they did the big things, it's because they did the little things and God was able to use the little things to accomplish the big things. Now, we're not going to dive deep into every one of these individuals' lives because that would take us probably now through Christmas to walk through all of those. So we're going to hit some of them very briefly, some we're just going to kind of skim over, and some we're going to stop and we're going to camp out a little bit. Because what we see as we walk through this is that the little things in the lives of these individuals is what allowed God to do big things in their lives. And he calls you and I to live lives that are the exact same way. There's going to be days that we mess up. There's going to be days that we do things that we know don't honor God. There's going to be days that we say things that we wish we didn't say. There's going to be days that we sin and we know and we're like, God, I'm sorry. But what God is looking for is the consistency in the little things and coming to him and the worship and the obedience and the trust on a daily basis. And that is how you see God start to work in individuals' lives through those little things to do really, really big things. So Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of going to be a, a, a diving board for us. We're going to start there and we're going to jump off into some other passages because we're going to dig into some of these people's lives and that's what we're going to do tonight so I'm going to ask you even though you're sitting on the floor and in chairs we're going to read through Hebrews 11 1 through 4 I'm going to ask you to stand like we do on a regular basis when we read a chunk of scripture and just go ahead and let you know we're going to do this again here in a few minutes as we jump off of this but let's read through the first four verses follow along with me it says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction the conviction of things not seen for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come together, God, that we can have fun, that we can worship you in so many different ways, God. And as we dig into this tonight and over the next couple of weeks, God, I pray that, that we'll see, God, that, that you want us to focus on you in the small things, in the little things. 
God, help us to be different because we've encountered your word. Help us to take what you say here and apply it to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all go ahead and have a seat. So, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, he gives a pretty simple, clear definition of faith. It's assurance and conviction. Basically, what that means is, that's, that's a, let's call it a settled confidence, okay? You know that something is going to happen. And the faith that, that this author is talking about here, it's a confidence that the future promises, the things God says he will do, it is a settled confidence that God is going to keep his word. Like there's, there's no doubt in your mind. Have you ever had somebody make a promise to you and there's a little voice in the back of your head going, mm, that might not actually happen. I, th- I think we've, we've all been there, every one of us. But faith, the way this is described here, it's, it's, it's an unswerving confidence in God. It's that if, if God says he's going to do what he'll do, you trust that God's going to do it. And scripture tells us that that's, that's the kind of faith that these Old Testament people had back then. And it's the same kind of faith that God calls us to now. It's knowing that even when we don't understand what's happening, even when things don't go the way that we think they should go or the way we hope they should go, it's a trust and a confidence that God still holds us in his hand as believers and that God's promises are still going to hold true that God did send his son Jesus to die on a cross, that the penalty for our sin that was paid did cover us and give us salvation. The promise that Jesus is coming back, all of the things that we see in scripture, it's a trust that God is going to do what God said he was going to do. That's important for us to start there because faith is crucial to all of this. If you don't have a faith and a trust in God through Jesus Christ, then the rest of this doesn't really matter for you. Because it all starts with that relationship. It starts with understanding that you are forgiven and you now have the opportunity to live a life that is in obedience and a life that honors God on a daily basis. And that's where we start to see these little things come into play. Hebrews 11 verses 2 and 3, For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. He's saying right there in verse 2, it's by faith that these believers in the Old Testament, that's how they received their, their commendation or it's, it's talking about their salvation. They weren't there when Jesus was crucified. The people that he's about to walk through and talk about, they weren't around when Jesus died on the cross. They didn't get to see him when he rose from the tomb. They didn't see him ascend back into heaven. They weren't there when the disciples and the early church were preaching the gospel and telling people who Jesus was. They didn't get all of that. They don't have the complete written scripture of God like we do now. But what they had were the Old Testament prophets who wrote down the promises of God that there was a coming Messiah, that someone would be God in the flesh, that someone would pay the penalty for our sin and their hope and their faith and their trust were in those promises. Faith seems like such a little thing to us sometimes. I mean, every one of you that's sitting in a chair right now, you implemented faith in your life when you sat down. You had faith that chair was going to hold you up. And you, and you base that on, on the fact that you've sat in chairs before and they've held you up. You've sat in these chairs and they've held you up. So your faith was based on the truth of your past experience and your hope that it's going to happen again. Faith in God is kind of the same way. 
You take that leap. You trust. It's something new. I've never experienced this before, but I'm trusting that God is going to do what God says He's going to do. And then when God actually comes through, that faith is strengthened because now you have that past experience. Does that make sense? We put faith in things every single day, and yet people will tell you, I, don't, I can't put my faith in God. But you can. Everybody has a faith. Everybody has a belief system. It's just a matter of what you put it in. And what the author is talking about here is saying that the faith that these Old Testament believers had, it was in the promises of God. And because of that, they were granted salvation through Jesus Christ, even though they never saw Jesus, even though they never heard his voice, even though they never saw the wounds, they had faith in who God was. Those little things that are big to God. And then it says in verse 4, and this is where we're going to go a little bit deeper. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Does anybody know who Cain and Abel are? Sons of Adam and Eve. Okay, you're absolutely right. So the very first picture we have right here of someone's life where little things are big to God is with the fourth person who ever lived on this planet. So very early in humanity's history, we start getting a picture of this whole idea. We don't know a lot about the details of the lives of Cain and Abel, but if we turn over to Genesis chapter 4, which you can go ahead and do, we do get a little bit of glimpse of their story. And it's here where we start to see what the author of Hebrews is talking about. You know what? We're going to break this down. I'm not going to make y'all stand up again. Genesis 4, verse 1 says this. Now Adam, and Eve, Adam knew, his, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She's talking about her son, not her husband, just so you know that there. And then verse 2, and again... She bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So right here, beginning at chapter 4, we see Adam and Eve have two sons. They have Cain, they have Abel, they're brothers. They're growing up in the same home. They've got the same parents. And we even get a glimpse of what their, their chosen career paths are. What does it tell us Cain does for a living? He works the ground. He's, he's a farmer. He works with crops. What about Abel? He, he's a shepherd. He, he works with livestock. Okay? So you've got two guys, same house. They've already started taking some different career paths. Because my guess is, for those of you who have siblings, you are, all on, you are not exactly alike in every way, are you? No. I love how Michaela, my 10-year-old daughter over here, going, dude, you're not like your brothers, are you? And that's Okay. But God can still use that. So we've got these two brothers. They're in the same house, but they're kind of going different directions. And if we look at these two verses, we don't really see too much that stands out about Abel. And yet Hebrews 11, it lists him in the hall of fame of faith. But here we just see he's a simple farmer. But I want you to make sure you don't miss the importance of what we see and what we don't see about Abel's life in these two verses. One thing we don't see is we are not told that Abel was a rock star in the eyes of other people. Sometimes we think if we're going to do big things for God, we've got to be that person up front that everybody's following, that everybody listens to. We've got to be a dynamic speaker and a dynamic leader. And yet that's not at all what we see here. 
Abel didn't speak to hundreds or even thousands of people about God. Remember, at this point in time, there are only three other people on the planet. And it's his family. You ever have a hard time getting your family to listen to you? Probably. If you go through the New Testament and you read, Jesus' own brothers wouldn't listen to him when he first started talking to people about God. So when you look at this, Abel is not this, this rock star. God has not spoken to Abel in a miraculous way the way he does with some other Old Testament folks. He hasn't come to him in the wind or in a burning bush or in all of these other different areas, a dream that we know of. We, we don't see any of that. There was nothing special or incredible or spectacular about who Abel was that we see up to this point. And that's important for us to pay attention to. Because sometimes, and tell me if I'm wrong, I know this has been true in my life, maybe you feel like I'm not important enough to tell people about God. I'm not special enough to be used by God. I've got problems in my life. There's no way God could do anything through me. And that's just not true. Because if we are consistent in the little things, if we are pursuing God and doing what God calls us to do, God can do incredible things. Look at what it continues to say here, starting in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So he's a farmer. He brings the crops. It's an offering to God. Verse 4, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. He's herding. He brings some of those animals the way that he's supposed to. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So I asked before if y'all had brothers and sisters in your house. Anybody ever had any uh, sibling rivalry with your brothers and sisters? Yeah, I see a couple hands honest. <laughs> What's funny is a brother and sister just both raised their hand. Thank you for being honest. It's true. We do. My brother and I, he's a year and a half older than me. And man, he and, he and I went after each other all the time. And, and what, I, what I came to learn, and, and I've seen this more and more as I've been around teenagers and quite frankly, even adults, is that a lot of time when that stuff starts to crop up, it often happens because you think your brother or your sister or your coworker or somebody else in your life is getting something that you deserve whether maybe it's praise from your parents, maybe a gift that you thought should have been yours, or that just something happened and jealousy starts to creep up in your life. And you think, that should have been mine. Why are they getting what I didn't get? And that's exactly what we see happening with Cain and Abel right here. Now, we, we don't know how they knew that God preferred Abel's offering over Cain's offering. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But somehow they knew, because if they didn't know, Cain would not have known, hey, I'm going to be mad here. And I'm not only going to be mad at Abel, I'm going to be mad at God as well. And, and the favor that we, see, that we see that God showed Abel, it's not because he brought a better offering than Cain. Think about that for a second. He didn't bring a better offering than Cain did because as, as you go through Scripture and you start to see the way God lines out the different offerings, there's an offering that, that Cain brought, the fruit of the ground, in Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 4. Listen to this. It says, When you come into the land that the Lord God, you, the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, 
You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land. The Lord your God is giving you. And you shall put it in a basket. You shall go to the place the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. So as you start going through the Levitical system where God outlines all of the offerings and sacrifices that the people of God were supposed to bring to God, that type of offering that came brought the fruit of the ground, that's an acceptable offering. And, and the same is true with Abel, the firstborn of the flock. Deuteronomy 15, 19, and 20. All the firstborn males that are born of your herd and the flock, you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God, year by year, at the place that the Lord will choose. So according to God's word, both of those brothers brought an acceptable offering before God. So that's not where the problem was. That's not why we see Cain get angry here. What we see in Cain's reaction to God and his brother is that his attitude toward the worship of God was way off base. Because when he came and his offering wasn't given the treatment that his brother's offering was given, all of a sudden his mind turned away from what he was there to do and turned to what he didn't get. He didn't get the same praise that Abel got. So he got mad at Abel and he got mad at God and God recognizes it and God calls him out on it. Look at verse 6 on Genesis chapter 4. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, we see in God's response to Cain that there's more at play here than just the offering. What Cain brought to God was acceptable to God in the physical sense. But what was in Cain's heart was not acceptable to God. Cain was jealous of his brother instead of focusing on worshiping God. He was coming to God with the wrong attitude. And we see that if you read the rest of this passage, and we won't do it right now, but I encourage you to go back and do it later You'll see that Cain is so mad, he catches his brother out in the field, he kills his brother, and then acts like it never happened. God says, hey, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Cain says, I don't know what you're talking about, God. He's God. Of course he knows what's going on. But you see all of this play out and what God warned Cain about, where he says, if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. But the heart of Cain was not where God wanted it to be. This is huge for you and I. The reason that we see Abel written out here the way it is in Hebrews chapter 11, it's because of how the little things in his life were big to God. Cain and Abel were both doing the right things in the sight of everyone else. They were going out, they were working, they were bringing these offerings, they were bringing them before God, they were doing what God wanted them to do and, and technically, everything was acceptable, but the difference in their lives was their approach to their worship. They came at it from totally different angles. When Abel comes to God, his offering was accepted. 
And that different approach showed in God's regard, not just for what Abel brought, but the worship with which he brought it to God. And that matters for us because there's a lot of times that we come before God to worship and our hearts aren't in the right place. And, and let me pause there for a second. I don't just mean when we show up in this building and we stand up and it's time to sing. No, wor worship is a life that is lived in submission and obedience to God at all times, whether you're singing or not. That's why we talk about in here when we worship, we do it through song, we do it through scripture, we do it through prayer, we do it through games. Having fun the way God tells us we're allowed to have. When we talk about this life that is in submission to God, to you and I, we may not think that our attitude when we walk into a building for cor corporate worship to praise God, to come together and celebrate what He's done in our lives, we may not always think, hey, I need to stop and I need to prepare myself for this. Because we walk into a, a time of worship wherever it may be for you and yet our mind is going a hundred different directions. And I'm thinking about that fight that I had with my parents. And man, the things I wish I would have said before we walked out. Or that person that just got on your last nerve in class and you wish you wouldn't get in trouble so you could really tell them what you thought of them. And a lot of times, that's our focus. So that when we come before God to worship, those little things are big. Because they stand in the way of us truly focusing on who God's called us to be and on who He is. But then those times when we've cleared our mind of those things, when we've laid those things at God's feet and says, God, I need you to deal with that so that you can deal with me. When we ask God to do things like we see in, in Psalm 139 where it says, search me, God, and know my heart. When there's times that we do that, that's acceptable worship. And for us, we think that's a little thing. And yet for God, that's huge. We think those things are insignificant, but for God, those are big. And Abel is listed here in Hebrews chapter 11 because he brought that acceptable offering to God. But more important than that, he brought that heart that was focused on worship before God. His heart wasn't focused on what his brother was doing. His heart wasn't focused on what his brother was bringing. His heart was focused on God and God paid attention to that because that was big. So my question for you tonight is this. Where is your heart focused when you worship? Now I understand there's a whole bunch of different things that are going on. Summer's almost over. School's getting ready to start back up. Stress is picking up in your family and you're going to have to go clothes shopping. And in the high school this week, you've got to go get Chromebooks and parking passes. And next week, you've got to go do open house and figure out where in the world all of your classes are. And that's just the next seven days. And there's so many different things that are going to pull us in different directions and pull our focus off of God. And when we walk into a time of worship, whether it's by ourselves and alone in our car or our room, or we come together corporately and our hearts aren't focused on God, that's a big thing. We may think those are little things, but to God, those little things make something big. Because Abel focused his worship on God, God was able to commend him 
God was able to show that his faith is what provided his salvation. And it says even though he died, his voice still speaks. And we see that through scripture because it's talking to us. It's helping us see we got to focus on God. And when we do that, God will take what we consider to be a little thing and he will make it something big because that's what God does. The next time you decide it's time to worship God, I want to encourage you, stop for a minute, whether it's by yourself or whether it's with a group, and spend a moment with God and let God show you where your heart is focused in that worship. And if it's focused on everything but actually worshiping God, take a minute before you step into that time and let God refocus your heart. Because when you do that, God will speak to you. God will reveal himself to you. You will feel his presence. And God will do big things through you if you focus on the little things. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come together. God, we thank you that we can worship you even when there's no music whatsoever. God, thank you that worship, as we see here, faith, God, it's, it's that confidence, it's that trust in you. It's coming to you every moment, every day. And God, I pray that you'll help each one of us to remember this week, God, that the, the little things, the things sometimes we brush aside that, that we think aren't a big deal, God. But when it comes to our walk and following you, God, those little things are the big things for you. Help us to be consistent in turning to you in our worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.